Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. My first guest since taking over the reins from his famous father has done nothing but train winners, plenty of them and some big races to boot. So many happy memories already and hopefully plenty of time to create a good bucket load more. Donald McCain, got you at last. <laughs> Morning. Good, good to see you. <laughs> it took a while. Uh, and you've been, you've been down here in Sandown the last, the last couple of days with, with runners. Are we going to be seeing a bit more of you down south, do you think? We've always we've always run horses wherever. I was I was saying before we've, you know, Perth's still our furthest away track. Fontwell, Plumpton, we have runners there all the time. Had winners at Sandown and stuff last year. Make no mistakes, it's more competitive down here on certain days. So, if you can earn possibly better prize money elsewhere, then we go elsewhere. But no, we'll we'll come if we've got them. We'll come. <laughs> I said 155 winners last season. That represented the culmination of. I mean, is it fair to call it? Come back? Well, so people have said. I, I was hoping I hadn't gone away, to be honest. But listen, it was just a great year, and, and I, I still don't quite know how it happened. We gathered up a nice team of horses, and and they were just healthy all year, and they kept winning. And um, when I got to a hundred, I was thrilled, and the rest, the rest, I was just shaking my head, to be honest. But if you're if you're churning out winners at over twenty percent, twenty three percent, as you are this season with seventy one, and I know it's from. Fewer, fewer runners, but you've got to be doing doing something right. Can you identify what's changed over the last two or three seasons? Uh, look, say, well, I put a new gallop in three or four years ago, probably four years ago now, at great expense. Um, but we trained a lot of winners on my old gallop and so on. Surrounded myself with good people. You know, I've, I've got a fantastic bunch of owners, and a lot of staff have been with me for a long time now. And 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 you can't you can't do that without them. You know and We've got a great team of people that I'm probably needed less and less <laughs> on a daily basis, and we do it between us, and we get stuck in, and it's just being comfortable 
with what you're doing and where you are and, 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 and the people around you. Because that was something, I was going to say, you actually look down the list of, of how many winners you've trained each season and the sort of narrative is Donald McCain drops off cliff and then, and then comes roaring back again. But in fact, you never got down to fewer than 50 winners. So you're, no. you're still, you were still productive, even, even if they were lean years by your very high standards. You just set yourself a very, very high bar. And, 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 and in, in those days had more horses than I have now and don't ever want to have those numbers again. You know, but I mean, I remember going back when, when we were doing it with Dad and used to stand up at the Christmas party and say it'd be great to get ten winners by Christmas, so I can still think back to that, if you know what I mean. Um, it's just, look, I say, I, I, I always thought if you can train 100 winners in a season, it's been a great season, mm. and, and, and I'll stick with that. So, um, what's, your, what's your earliest horse racing memory? What is the earliest thing you can remember about the sport? Because you were two when Red Run won his, his first Grand National. I mean, that's asking an awful lot, but something in that... Heady period of the early seventies must stick in your in your mind. First, obviously, memory is Red winning his third national and the third one, and 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 sitting. We 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 were never allowed to go, so I was at my grandmother's. We went to one. Myself and my sister went to one grandmother each, and um, I remember I remember watching it on the sofa at, at, at Grandma Harris's house in Southport. Yeah, and um, and then looking out my bedroom window as he came home in the evening, and obviously my bedroom was above the showroom at the front so there's a veranda and over the road the shops and there was people on the roofs there was people the whole street was shut and and yeah that'd be my earliest racing memory and how come you weren't you weren't allowed to go was it just not considered a thing for young kids to go well in those days it was seen and not heard and kept out of the way firstly but but obviously it, it was superstition as well and and dad had this routine mum and dad had this routine they went to a certain owner's place in the morning had a few drinks had a bit of a do and went in his car to Aintree, and, and that was the routine. And it was so... Can you imagine how consuming it was, this one horse, this one, this one great horse that, that, that was the public horse, and, and, and kids came second? I, I was fortunate enough to, to interview your dad many times, both while he still had the licence and after you'd, you'd taken over with you on his own. And everyone was familiar with his, his views, his sometimes outspoken views towards the end of his career and his, his life. But I... I don't really know much about what, what your young family life was like in those days in Southport when, when Red Rum was doing his thing. What was family life like then for all of you? Well, it, say, in those days it was. If you were kids, you were sat in the car having a packet of crisps and a bottle of pop outside <laughs> the pub, weren't you? When, when they were social. And every Sunday was owners round and, and a big social thing and that sort of stuff. And it... Um, the, the 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 business came first. Red one was the most. Make no mistakes. He was the most important thing in our family. Way 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 more so than us, if you know what I mean. And and rightly so. I know he was very very special. And and everything we have, truthfully, as a family, is is down to him. Was he was he selling the horses and the cars at the same time? Effectively, well, the cars the cars was different. Dad had someone in that um, Paul, who still has the showroom now, to be honest, and and he still has that, and he made a very good job of that, but. Dad just used to interfere with that a bit as, 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 the race, as the racing went on. He'd go off buying cars when he wasn't supposed to and that sort of thing. But, it, um, but the, the, the horses, it was literally the kitchen window and the horses were there. You know, so you couldn't avoid it. It was, the, it was, the, it was everything. And your mum, an incredibly kind of strong and vibrant character as well. Were they, were they big social people? 
Very much so. Yeah. Dad especially, yeah, very much so. <laughs> to a fault, probably. To a fault. But that, that, was, that, that was the way it was then. Yeah. But it was sort of... It, it, I, can, I can feel that, that style. Yeah, say he... he um, and I tried, to be honest, being on the other end of it as a youngster, when my kids came along, I tried to keep a bit of time for them on a Sunday and that sort of thing because... There were in, in, it, it was the way it was then. There was no time for family life. It was owners coming around all the time. It was open house, you know. So did, did you see your did you you see yourself sort of developing as a as a personality in in a very different way to him because of that? I think um, when 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 you stood back and and saw that, and he didn't care. He said what he thought. A lot of it was tongue in cheek, and he wasn't worried about what people thought about it afterwards. When it's your father and you remember the family and you see people talking about him and that sort of stuff, then it bothers you more, if you know what I mean. He didn't care. But from from standing off and seeing it, you would be more... You'd, Please, Dad, don't say this and, and don't do that. But he, he did it for devilment, to be honest. Was it inevitable that that you would be the next name on a licence, that the training enterprise would grow, would burgeon, that you would take over? Was it Was it always in the planning? It was never really discussed. It's, it's, it's a very easy thing to do to fall into it, isn't it? You know, I always wanted to ride for a bit and go away. Yeah, I was always going to. I was always going to work in the job, and and probably take over. I suppose there was a chance I could have gone off somewhere else and whatever. But um, yeah, it, it was. But it, it was never really discussed. There was ne never any great master plan. The only time there was ever a discussion was when I was going to get my first job. Um, I was going to go to Michael Dickinson, I think it was, and, and he, he was going off elsewhere, and he said he suggested that we wrote to four people. Um, that was Guy Harwood, Michael Stout, Luca Kamani, and Henry Cecil to go, which we did. Um, and, and I ended up at Luca's, and that, and that was the only real planning in any, any part of it, you know, so other than that, it's just snowballed, really. Did you get replies from, from all of them? All but one. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're safe now. I yeah, think Henry Cecil, the only one that didn't reply. Henry yeah. Cecil didn't reply. Um, Michael Stout. I spent a couple of summers with with him as, as well, actually, and at Sir <laughs> Michael and, and and Guy Howard replied, and, and and I think Luca rang up actually and had a good chat. So that's where I ended up. So he wanted you. You turned up at Luca's. Um, did you learn or not? Absolutely, you can't help but not doing. But you but you're learning about. A place I still, when I turn up at Newmarket now, as you drive into town, it's mind-boggling. You know, so you, you just see all the facilities and everything's done for you, and and all the beautiful yards and so on and so on. And it, and it still blows me away every time I'm at the sales. I go up and stand on the heath and and and, and that sort of stuff. But obviously, there's another side to training centres, and you've got to weigh up. What, what you're comfortable with and what... I mean, Dad would never be a man for a training centre. That was It just wouldn't have worked, would it? Um, <laughs> complying with other a, people. He'd have taken a view, yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's a great place to visit. Would you want to train there? No. Welcome back. Donald McCain and I have been joined by senior writer in the Racing Post, Lee Mottishead. Lee, good to see you. Did you enjoy listening to Donald? Fascinating. Yeah, always good to hear someone talking so frankly um, and sincerely. And a bit of nostalgia too, which we all love. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I would sort of love to take myself back to, 
to those to those days. I mean, I can't. I not old enough, and nor are you old enough no. to re really remember um, Red Rum. But there's something very very special listening to it through through Donald there. Yeah, absolutely. Of course, I suppose you only ever live the life that you lead. You know, when you speak to people who are the children of enormously famous people, say, what was that like? Well, it, it was completely normal to me. But to anyone, I think, who wasn't living that life, it, it looks incredibly abnormal. Um, so, yeah, no, but, but uh, we, again, with, 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 with Ginger, we all... I mean, again, you and I were probably on the, on the cusp of when Ginger was sort of fading down as a, as, a, as a trainer. But we all had those great conversations. And with Beryl as well, your mother, who would also be quite a force too, wouldn't she, in terms of um, an individual? Oh, mate, She's mate, not shy no, and retiring. No, no, make no mistakes. There was, there was no business without mother. And, 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 and Dad had plenty of faults, and, and there wouldn't have been a, been a business mm. without mother, you know. So she's done a shift. <laughs> has, there, has there ever been a faster or more accurate driver than your mother? Well, she's not as accurate as she used to be, but no, there, was, there was a time when she, that when she was brilliant, but I think she nearly needs to realise her limitations a little bit now. <laughs> Do you think... Red, Red Rum's the most celebrated racehorse of the modern thoroughbred era, isn't he? Well, in our part of the world, yeah, yeah. I'd say so. I mean, you, you can't... Hard to, hard to contextualise globally, I suppose. Desert but. Orchid, I think, in our part of the world, would be the only horse that would bear comparison in, in, that, in that period. But it's hard to imagine any racehorse these days appearing as a guest on Sports Personality of the Year. I mean, the, the idea of that is almost inconceivable. Um, Unless they were trained by Shark Handler. And, and, Unless they, they were trained by Shark And he loved it as well. This is the thing, people thought Dad was pushing it, but the horse absolutely loved the attention. all the attention. I only went to one of his very last engagements... Um, and it was a bookmaker somewhere, I think, and, and I, I'd never seen it. I knew he got, went off to them and things, but it was actually mind-boggling when you saw him eat. There was, there was a doorway about this wide, and I said to the lad that was travelling, I said, Wiz, I said, he, he won't go through there. He said, he, if he wants to, he will. And he just left him, and he went straight in this bookmaker, and he was there and, he, and, and stood for all the attention and whatever, and then went, and, and the horse lived for it. He really did. In some ways, too, that was racing's golden era, in the sense that because you only had so few... We had, we had three TV channels, didn't you, at that point? BBC One, BBC Two and ITV. Mm. Far fewer sports had a concentrated place on television. And that was still the time when if you walked down the high street, everyone would know who, not just Lester Piggott was, but who Willie Carson was, who, who, who all the top jockeys, Fred Winter, Terry Biddlecombe. Mm. Racing was a, a bigger deal at that point in the national consciousness. Well, telly, wasn't it, isn't it that the telly was a bigger deal? I yeah, mean, so and because racing you, was on the telly every, every Saturday in a lot of midweek days. We're, so we're getting 150 days of telly on, uh, racing on free telly a year at the moment. Absolutely. But, but there are people so just don't watch TV as much. No, and there are also there's so many more opportunities to watch different channels. Mm. You know, in those days, racing was so important to, to television, to the BBC and to ITV, that if you became a big name as a, in, a human or a horse you were going to have a bigger place in the public consciousness and none bigger than Red Rum. I'm going to drag you at warp speed back up memory <laughs> lane and get you to remember yesterday's Tingle Creek that was won in spectacular fashion by Edward Stone. And I looked at this, Lee, and I thought, we were all banging on about Shishkin and Grenatine all week, and we've seen and watched enough racing over the years to know that the young horse, the one just out of his novice season, 
is the one that takes the step forward on his first run of the next season. And Edward Stone just looked in the prime of his life. Yeah, he, he was largely overlooked yesterday, maybe because he signed off the defeat at, at Aintra, maybe because on, on pure numbers, what he achieved last season didn't compare to the likes of, of Shishkin and Grenatine. But he absolutely romped home yesterday. Alan King um, spoke very well after the race about how he'd taken some flack and had been hurt by criticism for not running the horse at, at Cheltenham or Ascot. But when he got his ground yesterday, he was hugely... Impressive, and even if you take the view that and fairly that Shishin hasn't won his race and he needs further now, that is Grenatine's track, that is Grenatine's race. There's no suggestion that Grenatine is a massively below form, and on that basis, Edward Stone has posted a seriously mm. good figure and is a genuine contender for championships glory. Do you agree with that, Donald? Very much so. I'm a fan, and I was a fan before yesterday. Um, I watched him win, was it there last year? and, and I was stood on the stands with someone yesterday and I said, I think this horse will nearly win. And um, he's just, he's so matter-of-fact and professionally goes unnoticed. Um, and I know, just going down to the the last of the, the, the three railway fences at the back end, all of a sudden he came on the bridle and he was running away. And he actually got in under, underneath the first of them, I think, just because he'd, he'd just come on the bridle. That's a sign of a good horse. And, and, and he's been beautifully campaigned as well, you know. Yeah. And he was campaigned... You know, well and aggressively last year, Lee, as well. I think one of the reasons everyone wanted him to, to win at, at Cheltenham was because he'd, he'd run a few times. Alan King raced him, you know. You, you, you want to see racehorses raced, and he was raced. He had a proper campaign. Um, lots of races, lots of big races, um, and he, 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 he thrived for them. Yes, you can argue that by the end of the season at Aintree, the season might have left a mark on the horse, but in the overall scheme of things, that that was worth taking for what we had before then. Um, and I think maybe because he didn't go into his chase season with a particularly flashy mm. reputation. You know, he was a horse who'd run well in big handicap hurdles, but he wasn't a superstar hurdler in the sense yeah. that, that John Bond goes into this season as a horse with a very high reputation. He was more of a grafter, workman-like horse, but he has got better for fences from hurdles yeah. to fences, and he looks like he's got better again this season. Spectacular, the display yesterday. There's no doubt about that. And you just saw the headline there, King Emotional after Edward Stone's success. Alan King joins me uh, on the phone now. Alan, good morning. Hey, good morning, Nick. Uh, how's Edward Stone this morning? 100%, 100% absolutely, absolutely fine, fine. yeah. Uh, looks in good order. And, and particularly given what we've been discussing the last few weeks, that must be a particular relief to you, and, and I'm sure yesterday meant an awful lot. It did, yes. I mean... It, you know, we've been desperate to run him for some time, but um, it, it, it was a relief and to, to walk uh, sand down yesterday, beautiful ground. So, um, you know, there was no, no issues on that score. But, you know, great to get him started. Uh, you say you've been desperate to run him for, for some time. Does that play havoc with your, your training regime or does he keep things quite straightforward for you? No, he's pretty straightforward. I mean, Robin Smith, my assistant, rides him virtually all the time and... Um, you know, he, he was ready to start at Cheltenham, but we thought that would really bring him forward, ready for, for the Tingle Creek. Couldn't go there, and, you know, as, as people know now, that Nicky allowed me to take him to Seven Barrows sort of a fortnight ago, and he did a lovely bit of work on the grass, and I think that just brought him on nicely. And You know, you never like going into a grade one without a prep, but um, that, that certainly helped. People might find it quite unusual that uh, a trainer with a, a rival in a particularly big race uh, allows another trainer to come and use his, his facilities. What does that say ab about the game? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's anything too unusual. I think if you read back, you know, there would be a lot of the new market, some of the smaller trainers, they used to 
Henry used to allow them to work with his horses, you know. So it, it, I think it says a lot for the game and, um, you know, um, the few great mates out there. As far as, as far as this horse is concerned, I, I wondered about that sliding doors moment when he didn't complete on his chasing debut two seasons ago, Alan, and, and you went back o- over hurdles with him and waited till the, <clears throat> the following season. When you reflect on it, how important a call do you think that was in, in the context of his overall development? I think it probably helped. I mean, I think it was Doncaster in January and he, and he unseated. And I just thought it's far too late in the season now to, be, to continue. So he had a few runs on those big handicaps, Cheltenham Aintree, and I think that really made a man of him, you know. As a young horse, he was always a little bit exuberant and always doing too much. And as a result, we used to have to drop him right out on those big handicaps, you know, 20-odd runners. And it was very difficult to, to make up that sort of ground. But he was he was still running very well in... in, in um, top goal trophies or, or county hurdles, you know, but I think it toughened him up. And then, well, even last season, it didn't go according to plan on his chasing debut. Um, he got brought down at Warwick going down the back. A horse fell and, you know, landed out in front of him. So, but um, fences have certainly settled him down now. And, you know, Tom did see he was actually very strong yesterday. He was pleased they weren't the gallop they did, but I think that was just freshness. Is he getting faster as he gets older? always worked like a very good horse to be honest it's just taken a long time to, to get him to the sort of finished finished um, article he's worked very good we don't over gun him at home but um, he always does it very nicely lovely to have another absolute top-notch jumper particularly two-mile chasing which which people enjoy so much and provides the crowd with such a such a wonderful spectacle clearly you were confident going into yesterday of a big run could you have anticipated the performance of, of quite that dominance oh absolutely not i mean i sort of well, I'm just trying to top myself down to a little bit, but I'm, I was sort of thinking if he, if he finishes third or fourth, not beaten too far, I'd be very happy, you know, but um, I, I couldn't believe quite how he quickened between the last two, or landing over the second last, and I spoke to Harry Cobden before I left last night, I think he got a hell of a shock as well, he couldn't believe how well Tom was going when he loomed up to him, so, and he's a horse that gets the trip as well, you know, I mean, I, you know, if he got beaten yesterday, we, we, I hadn't ruled out the fact we might go two and a half. Clearly, that's not the case. But, you know, he's been placed two and a half over Hurdle. So, a lot of stamina and the pedigree. So, he's always hopefully going to finish, the, you know, those, those strong run two miles off very well. I wondered whether, you know, in sort of old school fashion, he might be the sort of horse, obviously not this season, but, but maybe next you'd, you'd sort of half think of as a, as a King George horse. Well, it's not in my mind at the moment, you know. I mean, I think we probably will go to Kempton at Christmas this year, but that'll be, that'll be the desert orchid, you know. And then, and then tip your way through to the through to the uh, the, the Queen yeah, Mother I mean, Championship. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably like it's three. It's, it's just over three weeks from from yesterday to, to to the desert orchid, and then, you know, I like to leave my horses alone in January, um, and so I would imagine if uh, the game spirit would come into the reckoning, and then and then hopefully Cheltenham. That's what I've got in the back of my hand, probably two runs between now and, and the, the champion chase. Uh, we look forward very much to seeing him, uh, particularly if he, if he goes to Kempton over, over Christmas. Alan, thanks so much. Pleasure. Pleasure. Thanks, thanks, Nick. Alan King, trainer of, uh, of Edwardstone, who looked very good in the Tingle Creek yesterday. But so too did John Bonn in the Henry VIII novices chase, albeit a small field, quite often is for this race. But he, he dispatched a good horse in Boot Hill with quite a striking burst of pace from the last to the line and he's a he's just a, a lovely horse to watch over fences donald isn't he good horse yeah he was good yesterday I, I, he, he was a different horse yesterday to to warwick the first day it's it's hard because he's having to do it all on his own isn't he at the moment but um he was impressive yesterday now
Um, he was put in a very, very short price favourite for the Arkle after his Warwick chasing debut, Lee, and there was a, a bit of scorn poured on that. He was only going to shorten after yesterday, but they hadn't left themselves much wriggle room to shorten him too much. Yeah, it was it was, it was very very tiny um, fractional shortening of his of his odds because you say he started at such a short price already, and you can argue that he was long odds on yesterday to win. So what did he actually achieve? But I think against that, you'd say the second horse, Boot Hill, had won a valuable handicap chase at Ascot on his previous start. He's a progressive horse who was beaten easily by John Bond yesterday. Um, and in two starts on offences, John Bond has already showed how professional he is at the discipline. Um, Aidan Coleman was at pains to stress after the race. Although this perception has built up that John Bond is somehow a complex character who has to be treated with kid gloves, Aidan was stressing that, no, he dead easy. If you put an ISO camera on him, he said, from the moment I got on to the moment I got off, you'd see a complete professional. Jumped superbly well. Um, win the final fence. I thought after winning after the final fence, not often you see a jockey give a horse three pats down the left side of the neck and four pats down the right side of the neck. Aidan is clearly hugely enamoured of John Bond, and you can see why. If you're an anti-post punter looking towards the Arkle, the complicated fact. Wait the till the is, day. Well, we've yeah, absolutely. He could be the same price. On he the could day. be, and he could be the same price on the day, even if he does nothing else. He could be bigger because we've not seen uh, appreciate it yet. We've not seen so many other good Irish trained novices who haven't yet really strutted their stuff over, over two miles. So the Arca could look very different come March, but whatever whatever comes across to face John Bond, yeah. they'll face a serious tool. We had some serious racing at Aintree yesterday as well. The Beecher Chase was the feature race and the only race over the national fences on this card now that the Sefton has moved a few weeks earlier. It gives the, uh, the horses a chance to run in both, of course, which horses like Percussion the Third and Jess Kill did yesterday, but neither had the answers of Ashtown Lad, who again was beautifully prepared for a big Saturday race by, by Dan Skelton. Skelton's got the bit between his teeth at the moment, Donald, hasn't he? He's a hell of a target trainer, isn't he? Making some job of it. And this race was a, a good, deep, competitive running, I thought. Yeah, I was saying to Lee before, and I, I just don't... I've, I've looked at the Sefton this year, and I've looked at the Beach Chase this year, and I, uh, the competitive races, I, I still think they're just lacking a little bit of quality. The, 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 the ex-Grand sort of National horses don't seem to be turning up today, you know, at this moment in time, but um, they've still got to be won. I suppose that there's an element of handicap mark protection and the fact that such a huge portion of the Grand National field now comes from Ireland as well. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And, and you possibly think they'd, they'd be better, there'd have been more of them coming for it, but obviously not. So. Do you think, you, looking at that there, do you think Ashtown Lad is the sort of horse that you sort of did that and probably answered my question? He could, could he? Could I know he, what insult anyone. Could he? Well, <laughs> you can give an honest opinion. <laughs> I, I, Nah, I'd be slightly surprised, I think. Has Dan Skelton got his target right? Has he found his day, do you think, with this horse? I think so, and I think the way Dan Skelton was talking after race, he would be surprised if he's a Grand National horse. I think the, he, he referenced the stamina question that emerged uh, in, the, in the Scottish National and just wondered whether really he is a horse who wants to be going the Grand National distance. One thing I would say about um, this is that I was at Sandown yesterday at Donald, and as the Beecher Chase was being run, there's a huge big screen very close to the winners' enclosure, <laughs> and every vantage spot was taken around that big screen. It felt like half a Sandown had moved to that area to watch, to watch. the Beecher Chase, yeah. and there is still something 
uniquely gripping and wonderful about watching races over the Grand National Fences. And that was obvious, not just at Aintree, but at Sandown as well. The screen went off halfway through, didn't it? And there was the one that we were watching did, by the way, Ray. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So everyone had to dash across. Uh, uh, something came up on the screen and you couldn't see it, and now you could hear the roar from the crowd. It was, <laughs> it was, it was good to see. And oftentimes, a, a victory in the Grand National is the glorious culmination of a horse's career. In the case of Noble Yates, it might have just been the beginning because he's a, a horse that could go from Grand National hero to, to Gold Cup horse in the blink of an eye, if yesterday's many clouds chase is anything to go by. Still in the Whaley Cohen colours, of course, the chocolate and orange, but now ridden by Sean Bowen, who'll be his regular partner. He's not going to win here, is he? And then suddenly the turbo kicks in. This, Donald, is, is mighty impressive. Good performance, yeah, absolutely. Does he become the horse, sort of horse that could maybe be placed in a Gold Cup? Possibly yes, but I would still be targeting one race with him myself. I don't think it's, I mean, Lucinda's horses was jumping a bit right the whole way through and the other horse helped him keep straight, but he's, he's, he's picked up and galloped down the straight, hasn't he? You know? And if you take the line, Lee, that Ahoy Senor still hasn't quite reached his peak this season and Dashiell Drash has run his honest race, the form is it's just OK at the, at, the, at the top level, but it's the way he's powered through the line makes you take him quite seriously as a championship prospect. Yes, I'd say you're right. I think the form is probably only just OK on the basis that Ahoy Senor hasn't reached the level that we saw last season. But it was that moment just after the second last fence and basically in between the final two fences, in some ways it was one of the moments of the season so far mm. because it's pretty rare that you see a staying chaser appear to take off in the way that he appeared to take off. I mean, he, he looked like he seriously accelerated at that point, which is not something you often see. And I think the fact that um, he ran in this race, just the fact he yeah. ran in this race, is to me an indication that connectors, maybe Robert Welly Cohn in particular, is thinking that this is a gold cup horse. Normally, if you have a grand national winner and you're going into the following season's Grand National... You have three you, runs over hurdles. You it? might try and protect him a little bit. You might try and hide him away and not reveal too much. Well, they've revealed a hell of a lot about Noble Yates there, which won't make his chances any easier in the Grand National, but does suggest that he could be a horse worthy of going for the Gold Cup. 8-1 to one for the Grand National, 10-1 to one for the Gold Cup. What a lovely position to be in, to have a horse quoted at such short odds for both of those fantastic races, the real showpieces of our sport. Emmett Mullins is on the line now. Emmett, this is a horse who seems to have ripped up the rule book. Is it him, though, ripping up the playbook, or is it you because of your campaigning? Uh, well, he's dancing the dancers, so he has to take the credit. But, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is that not many people would have thought as outside the box as you have with him. Is there something about him that enables you to do that? Is he just a horse that's a little unusual? Um, he's definitely an unusual horse in his character and all that. But, um, no, I, I, um, I don't think I treat him any different than anything else. So tell me a little bit more about his character then, Emmett. What is it, what is it that sets him apart? Um, he can be very highly strung in the preliminaries beforehand and things. Um, he's an unusual horse that way. I think we had earplugs and everything in him for the Grand National Day, but uh, we're trying to uh, wean him off those things there. Yesterday he had no um, no help, um, but no, he seems to be getting better with age. When you were campaigning him towards the, the Grand National last year, were you thinking to yourself, I've potentially got a 
championship class horse and I've got a stone up my sleeve? Or was everything he was doing informing you uh, about him? I suppose we we just had to... Um, we'd made up our mind good and early and we had to believe that the engine was there and um, we just took stepping stones the whole way along. It just uh, it all fell into place, really. And as I say, we... we um, we just had to believe that the engine was there and, and he came right on the hour. Is he a horse who works like a, a very good horse? No. He was with me for over a year before he ran. Um, I couldn't tell you how long I was working. I'm trying to get him... Um, uh, trying to get him uh, to change gears, but um, we were patient enough and he, he um, we took our time and uh, he, he came right in the end. What was the turning point? When did he really when did he really come alive for you? Um his bumper. Uh what was his bumper just just shy of two years now. Um he won a bumper nineteen minutes in Tardis and uh galloped through the line and you don't win Irish bumpers nineteen minutes unless you're a good horse. Yeah. And a good horse he is. Yesterday he really powered home. Really finished off his race very, very strongly. Um, did it make you think any differently of him? Did he surprise you in any way, or is that exactly what you'd been anticipating? Um, no, that's, that's him. Uh, that's what we were anticipating. Um, even last year, uh, when Sam rode him in Cheltenham, he couldn't believe how much he responded once he got stuck into him in the handicap chase. And I think that filled him with uh, a lot of confidence going to the national and it was pretty much the same yesterday. Once Sam switched, or John switched him out and got a bit of light, he, he rallied well. So he's got almost that sort of those bottomless reserves, if you like. That's it, yeah. Um, I suppose typical national winner, you don't know when you're to the bottom of them, bottom of them and uh, they keep responding for you just like a good horse should. Obviously very mentally strong as well, still young, still improving. Are you going to go to Kempton for the King George? Time will tell. You haven't got that much time to tell. <laughs> There's a lot of water. I can still go under the bridge. How um, ge genuinely, how how late can you push it before you actually have to make a call in terms of his work patterns and everything else? Do you train him up for the race and then just see if he's OK? Um, we'll get him home. He's home already this morning. He seems 100%. Um, he's a funny horse in that... Um, he probably won't take much work between now and any run... Um, his next run, and um, he's uh, once he's up and running, he's ready to go where we want. For those of you who followed horse racing in the early part of the millennium, the name Ouija board will always mean quite a lot to you. Sadly, we lost her this week. Um, she was 21 years old. She had 22 runs. She won 10 of them. She won the Breeders' Cup twice at Lone Star Park and then again at Churchill Downs. She was an Oaks winner. Um, she travelled the world. She was campaigned with great vigour and great verve by Ed Dunlop. She was ridden by all the top jockeys of the time, most notably Kieran Fallon and, and Frankie Dottori. And she was owned and bred by uh, Lord Derby, for whom I think at one point she was the, the only horse in training. And Lord Derby uh, joins me on the line now. Teddy, good morning. Morning, Nick. Good to see you. I'm I'm so sorry that you've lost this this wonderful mare. I mean, just just describe what she she meant to you and your family. 
do you know what? She is just a, an extraordinary journey. Uh, you breed a horse, you're always trying to breed a good one. And you make the comment there that, yes, that year, she was literally the only horse I had in training. I generally had a policy of, of selling the colts, racing the fillies. We were colt heavy and one or two other partners that wanted it. So this extraordinary horse came along. None of us knew quite how special she was at those early stages. But it was uh, Jamie Spencer rode her in a maiden at, at Yarmouth on our wedding anniversary. Uh, she came back the following spring in the Pretty Polly and won by seven lengths. And you thought, oh, my God, we're talking about a classic dream here. Now, if you've got a name like Derby and you know the history of a family home called the Oaks, something that has a chance of running in the Oaks at the Derby meeting is just extraordinary. And the journey we went on from there over the next three years was utterly unbelievable. You talked about around the world. When I wrote a book about her, Ouija Broad and Mayor of the Million, I put a map in the back showing the journey that had been made. 125,000 kilometers around the globe. Unbelievable story. What a tough mare she was. And everybody took to her right from the moment, I think, when when she won the Oaks under under Kieran Fallon. It was a one of those Fallon rides where you were never quite sure what he had uh, under the under the bonnet. And then she just scooted clear. As, as I say, this day for you and, and, and your family must have been must have been pretty remarkable. There, there is that. People often ask, "What was what was the best race?" Well, your first Group One, your first Classic, and 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 to win at Epsom is just unbelievable. Um, and I'm, I'm glad you're showing the camera this way around. If you show it the other way around, you'll show. Uh, me and a lunatic family screaming, jumping up and down and, and giving everything. But just look at that margin. Kieran Fallon is not called the assassin for nothing and, and a seven-length victory in a classic is quite extraordinary. I think we do have the shots of you jumping up and down um, and, and screaming like a lunatic. Well, at least we, I think we showed them at the beginning of the show anyway. There were, there were so many... <laughs> there were, there, there were so many great moments, Teddy. That that first Breeders' Cup at Lone Star Park, Ed Dunlop was talking about that earlier this week. A lot of us have been to a lot of Breeders' Cups. What was so different about that one? I, I, I think, well, first of all, I think it was the first time it had ever been held in Texas. Lone Star Park wasn't known for it. But that was really dipping into a whole different world. I'd never really had the racing uh, abroad, which we're used to having done here. But I have to say... The Americans made us unbelievably welcome and the sort of the cowboy shows going on all around it. I have to say, the horse of the Ouija board story that I feel sorry for is filmmaker. Uh, you can see her lying just in front of us there. She comes second here. And then when we go back and, and, and win again in 2006, uh, uh, she's also second there. Yeah, filmmaker, trained by Graham Motion. She was a real standing dish in the in the Breeders' Cups. Um, 2006, Ouija Board came back to Churchill Downs. Let's have a look back at, at that performance. Um, 2004 was Kieran Fallon. 2005, Belmont Park was Jerry Bailey, and she was beaten by Intercontinental. And this is 2006. You've got great aerial coverage here of that white cap bobbing up and down. Filmmaker, the horse that Teddy was just talking about, to the inside in the aquamarine blinkers. And it's another stellar performance from the mayor, we're just watching the closing stages leave very fond memories of Ouija board. She came back on the bridle early in the stretch um, and quickened away. She had, she had that great longevity which you long to see 
in a top flat horse. She had enormous character. She was involved in some of the most uh, iconic finishes to around that period. Um, Teddy, we can't talk about this mare without having a look, a look back at one of the, the greatest jewels we've seen in the in the last 25 years. The the jewel with Alexander Goldrun in the in the Nassau Stakes. She does win, by the way. We're going to show it again. <laughs> it is an absolutely epic jewel for that one the whole way down. Uh, Alexander Goldrun the outside under Kevin Manning. Um, just what was going through your mind the last last 100, 200 yards of this race? Uh, do you know what? I think the angle I was at, because they were sort of slightly coming towards us, slightly, I mean, it, you know, your heart's in because it's a stride up and a stride down. Uh, but I think the angle I was at, at the end, I rushed out and down to the winner's enclosure, and I had, it was only when I saw the photograph later, um, but because you see from that angle, it looks a, a, sort of a stronger victory, but it's, uh, it was unbelievably close when you see the camera. And of course, that, that was uh, a pretty emotional moment because it was her last run in, in, in the UK and Frankie took her for a great tour in front of the stands. And it really was wonderful how the, the sort of public sort of got behind her and, and it was you know, the journey we had with that horse. And I think you talk about the longevity because she did run for four seasons. People really got behind her and she, she was such a wonderful horse. I mean, the low point was definitely 2005 Royal Ascot up at York. And uh, we were very privileged to be with the Queen that, that, that day and, and the panic. And we were worried about, about the weather, worried about the going. And, and she actually didn't do well, suffered a stress fracture in her leg. And, oh, my goodness, is, is, is this the end? So, you know, every great story has some awful low moments from which you have to recover. And that was definitely her low moment. And we closed out the season with the Hong Kong Vars, which was a fantastic, exciting victory, wonderful trophy that we had for a year. Um, and until so we thought, that's we've got to keep her in training as a five-year-old. And then, of course, she produced a derby winner herself in, in Australia. And to, to what extent does her, as, as something of a breed shaper, give you as much satisfaction as, as all the great international jaunts that you went on, seeing her uh, you know, amass this, this litany of grade ones around the world? Uh, uh, th 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 there's always going to be that bit to it. And given the history, and over my shoulder, you can see uh, the 17th Earl of Derby, who had 21 classic winners, and that is Hyperion, who uh, uh, the wonderful story that the Queen did validate for me. Uh, our dear late Queen, she visited Hyperion as a, as a young girl. She was born in 1926. Uh, Hyperion won the Derby at 33. And as a young girl, she, she stroked Hyperion. And she was told to wash. And she said to her nanny, I've stroked Hyperion today. I'm not going to wash for a week. You can see how the Queen had that love of racing from an early age. And so following in my great-grandfather's footsteps to breed, to have a chance to breed like that is amazing. And the extraordinary thing is that Australia, by Galileo, out of Ouija board, it is the first time ever that a derby winner has been by a derby winner out of an Oaks winner. And you just think you try to mix the best with the best to get the best, and you're on a, a quirky course like Epsom, but it hadn't happened for a quarter millennia until a bloke called Derby uh, is lucky enough to be the owner that does it.